Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson to run the rule over the past week in the world game. News including the latest on the Socceroos and Matildas with Willem van Denderen will get us underway shortly while our man in Qatar, Michael Edgley, listens from afar in the middle of last minute preparations for the 2022 World Cup. He'll be back next week. Now on the show this week, we'll talk to Melbourne City skipper Scott Jamison to get us going following the success of last year's premiership and the bitter disappointment of losing the grand final to Western United. His team recently marked his 300th A-League game across five clubs with a convincing win over the team that inflicted the defeat at home and backed it up with an away win over Brisbane to start their campaign off in perfect form at 33. He might be a veteran, but he's still in great form and one of the great characters of the A-League, and we love having a yarn to him. So we'll find out what's going on with Patrick Kisnorbo's men that seem to be doing it all right down at Amy Park. Then on the other side of the coin, down at Aston Villa, when Stephen Gerrard was poached after winning glory in the Scottish Premiership with Rangers Destiny, he looked written, achieve the success that was required at the Villains, and he'd be on track to eventually succeed Jürgen Klopp when the great German master coach eventually departs Anfield. One point from the drop zone after a recent wretched run of form. It feels like a lifetime away since they rocked Villa Park in early September to split the points against Manchester City. So the script is not coming together as he'd hoped it would. Will Stevie G survive and continue the journey or will the club's owners who watched on over the weekend pull the trigger? If anyone from outside the club We'll have the latest. It's the Athletics man who covers the Claret and Blue side of Birmingham, Greg Evans, and we'll get it all from him. Plenty more to talk about home and away around the world. The Gunners still on top and one or two other brilliant games, which I know I would like to talk about this week. Derek, how are you, mate? Very well, thanks, Rob. Another great week to be sat in the chair. <laughs> of course it is. Well, we talked last week and questioned as to why Edge would take the week off, but uh, in, in his typical style, he uh, he... he uh, left it all to the WhatsApp chat. But he went a little bit too hard, didn't he? Because he just anticipated that Liverpool would get beat by City at Anfield and it sort of didn't work out that way. A lot of people thought uh, Liverpool were going to be beaten by City. I know Chris Sutton, who does the predictions on the BBC Sport website these days, was calling for 4-1 and he was getting absolutely hammered on Twitter and on 606 after the result. So... Edge wasn't the uh, only man, and I suppose as we will no doubt talk about in the show, uh, as an Arsenal fan, thought it was a pretty good result. I'm sure you did, and Willem, uh, you enjoyed a weekend of football. Uh, I mean, you're not the most committed Manchester United fan out there, so I'm not going to sort of uh, suggest that you're in great pain, but uh, I know you weren't happy with uh, victory losing at uh, home to the Western Sydney Wanderers. No, victory weren't great in such a such an an occasion and such a build of momentum around the uh, the the A League men's competition this season. Uh, they drew eighteen thousand there. They got the derby next week. All they needed to do was win, uh, and they didn't fire a shot. Quite literally, didn't put one on target. So disappointing from the victory. Uh, and on the other side of the coin, I mentioned that derby. Looking forward to speaking to uh, Scott Jamison, three hundred and one uh, not out. So we'll get to him shortly. But before we uh, do get there, we need to chat about the Matildas because they've enjoyed their second successive win and first over European opposition in four years coming from behind to beat Denmark at 3-1. Denmark were on the board within a minute through Karen Holmgaard, but the Aussies struck back in the second half through Caitlin Ford, Katrina Gorey, and Ford again. It's a third! And right from kickoff, 
Caitlin Ford getting in on the act. And the Matildas have turned this one around in a blistering nine-minute spell. Rob, not a full-strength Denmark. I don't say that to degrade the Matildas' efforts. We we clip them when they're down, the Matildas, so it's uh, we don't want to do that when they're up. Uh, and morale is the highest it's been for some time. No, um, not a full-strength Denmark, but, hey, we've uh, um, dished out the uh, the brickbats uh, often enough in recent times uh, uh, against uh, Tony Gustafsson's side. So, you know, fair play when they do actually win. We weren't exactly uh, lauding them when they beat uh, South Africa. Uh, but uh, to beat the 18th-ranked Denmark in Europe um, – was uh, a notable performance and 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 it's the kind of i guess um you know there's plenty of pressure on whenever you put on the the national colors but away from home away from the spotlight uh, perhaps that was the environment that Gustafsson needed to get the squad in to, to start getting it together. I know we, amongst many people, have made heaps of comments of, about the, the Matildas, but uh, but look, if, if this is just the, the the early grass shoots of or green shoots, I should say, of uh, of the kind of growth that we're all hoping to see in the lead up to, to the World Cup next year, then uh, you know, well, kudos to them and, and and credit where it's due. And the picture for the World Cup is going to become a little bit clearer this week on Saturday afternoon when the draw for the group stage is conducted in. Auckland. Uh, Australia can't be drawn as locked into that A1 position as a host against obviously New Zealand or the US, Germany, England, Spain, Sweden or France. So 5.30 Australian Eastern Time on Saturday, that draw will be conducted. The Central Coast Mariners are confirmed starters for the 2023-24 A-League women's season. The side will play at Central Coast Stadium in Gosford and the honour of the first signing has gone to Academy player Annalise Rasmussen. We first got an 11-team season to complete, which kicks off on November 19, Rob, with Western United to play their debut season. Following that, it'll be the 12 teams with the 22-round home and away, which is what people have wanted uh, for so long. And we've known about this, but I bring it up because it feels like the Mariners are entrenched as they've ever been over the the course of this show. We've discussed it at length. Perhaps they're going to have the licence sold. Ray Gatt often comes on and puts on an an impassioned defence. But the licence is now... Uh, transferring to Richard Peel, who's a local who understands what the club means to the region. Uh, our under-20s are trying to qualify for next year's under-20 Asian Cup, and there's Mariners products galore. So, as I said, with a women's side coming in, they do feel for the first time in a long time to be set in stone on the coast. No, it's fantastic news. Um, I know, uh, um, well, anyone who's listened to this show long enough will know that, um, you know, I, I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney and the central coast was where my family took our annual holidays and it's it's a beautiful part of the world and uh, it's a, a part of the world that um, has has become n- not just a, a holiday destination anymore. It's a, it's, it's a genuine metropolitan hub in its own right, uh, just north of Sydney, uh, south of Newcastle. They're passionate about their sport. And as we've discussed so many times and, and everyone in the media has discussed so many times, uh, they uh, the Mariners, the only club that represents that uh, part of the world in, in one of the top flight sporting competitions. So they've got it all on, on their own and uh, it's a perfect opportunity for, for the, the young women of, of the local area to aspire to something and for um, for the Mariners' uh, women to uh, to create something special, uh, just like the men did in the early days. Overseas, Arsenal's lead atop the Premier League table is back out to four points after Manchester City suffered their first loss of the season. The Gunners took the lead through Bukayo Saka at Leeds before weathering quite the storm, with Patrick Bamford going close to the equaliser on multiple occasions. At Anfield, Mo Salah scored the game's only goal against City, 
by Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp was sent off for his touchline behaviour. Derek, that was for mine a phenomenal escape act uh, from the Gunners. Patrick Bamford scored, had that overturned, missed a penalty, then earned another penalty, which was overturned. Uh, and when all was said and done, it was still somehow Arsenal 1, Leeds nil. The fortune this season uh, is certainly uh, at odds with what we've seen over previous years. Yeah, I just think it shows how fallible this Arsenal team are. I know that they've won nine out of ten games, and that's unprecedented for us, and that every team that's managed to do that has gone on to win the title. But I think the manner of the... The game was a little bit old Arsenal. They did look a little bit ropey. And when they were put under the blowtorch by Leeds, there was certainly a lot of creaking around. And look, um, I'm very much uh, someone who's not in favour of of VAR. And, uh, you know, obviously Arsenal were a huge beneficiary of VAR at the end of that game. It was obviously the right decision once it had gone to VAR. But um, I was saying to Rob off mic earlier that, you know, I think it would have been a fair result, a draw. And if Leeds had managed to nick the points at the end there, it wouldn't have, you know, in my mind, Arsenal are still looking at Champions League, not necessarily a title race. So I would have taken a point away at Ellen Road in those circumstances. But yeah, it was a, it was a good win. Yeah, it uh, it was a good win, and, and I know uh, we'll we'll talk about this a, l- a little bit more. But uh, I just think Patrick Bamford, um, if he is going to engage in that kind of uh, diving uh, activity, he needs to to pay a visit to Italy or Spain and and, and learn from the masters because uh, that was never going to pass muster on the VAR. Union Berlin's dream runners continue with a two 0 win over Dortmund that has them four points clear atop the Bundesliga, almost a third of way into that season. Yannick Habera scored twice in the opening half at the packed Stadion Alt for Steria, which looks like an awesome venue, uh, while for the losers, the result has seen Dortmund slide to eighth. Bayern Munich have leapfrogged Freiburg in second with a 5-0 win over that side. And Derek, long may this Union Berlin uh, run continue because next up they travel to last placed Bochum. So as I say, keep the party going. Yeah, absolutely. They, they've obviously, they've already drawn with uh, Bayern this season and that was a great result. They've obviously, as you said, beaten Dortmund who are one of their rivals at the top there. And look, this is a, this is a club that's really establishing itself in the top flight, really, after being in the shadow of its more illustrious neighbour, Hertha, of course. And um, yeah, this isn't a big club. It doesn't have the big wage bill of some of the other guys, particularly um, Bayern Munich. It's a very unfancied side and a very unfancied part of town. But, you know, they're the hipster's choice. Apparently, there are plenty of fans that go there just to take in a a unique environment and a unique atmosphere. So, as you said, long may it continue. Another another underdog at the top of a European league. And back closer to home, the AFC have announced Qatar will host the 2023 Asian Cup. That's the Men's Asian Cup, selected ahead of bids from South Korea and Indonesia. The tournament was due to be held in China from June to July next year, but hosting rights were relinquished as China pursues its zero COVID policy. It's expected the cup will be delayed until January 2024, obviously given the heat. Uh, South Korea, Rob, a little bit disappointing for mine. They haven't hosted a tournament outright since 1960, so it would have been good to see them just for a little bit of variety, I think. But uh, privately, apparently, they knew that they never actually had the backing from the AFC. Yeah, well, I guess when all of the the big... uh... The big knobs of international football are gathering in Qatar, and there's a tournament ready to play, and um, and and they've got a, a venue ready set to go. It always had the uh, the inside running sort of one out one back style, so no surprise that they got the uh, the nod really. Uh, and it is just over a month until the World Cup, as we know, and you can still go if you're quick smart about it. You want to go with the Green and Gold Army, uh, they'll sort you right out, ggatravel.com.au. Uh, we'll quickly rattle through a few of our most prominent socceroos and what they're up to in club land. Nathaniel Atkinson, a bit of concern around him after he was substituted out of Hearts Europa Conference League clash at Fiorentina. 
Molina. A few varied reports doing the rounds, but hearing that he will hopefully be okay with what was either a calf or a rolled ankle, uh, so fingers crossed, but looking towards uh, the positive side there. Also considering that Harry Suter and Kai Rolls look to be beating the clock. Again, it's different uh, to just get, it's a different matter to just get to the World Cup. You've you know, you want to have a little bit of club form behind you, but better to be there than not. Aideen Rustic has also hobbled off for Verona, which looked like a minor ankle issue. So not great, Rob. I mean, none of these guys are, are killing it. Um, limping to the line, I mean, is uh, probably some parlance you could use. But yeah, none of our soccer is really dominating at club level, which isn't great uh, heading into uh, into a World Cup. But they weren't dominating heading into the qualifiers either, were they? And they pulled it together. Um, there's plenty of countries that are that are in the World Cup that that don't have players in in the top flights. I mean, look, just look at Iran and and the kind of results they've been getting recently. So, you know, I'm I'm not that concerned about it. I'm more concerned about what uh, what Arnie can pull together um, in so far as the camaraderie is concerned. Draw off the energy of, of those two results uh, as the underdog and and go in and, and play an Australian type of football. I mean, we were all disappointed with. Uh, the way that uh, that Australia, um, you know, were were, uh, were sent out to, to play just to to to, to uh, you know pretty much park the bus and uh, and and see if we could sneak into the, the knockout rounds under Bert Van Marwijk, but uh, in in Russia. So uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm just looking forward to it. I'm not going to look at the, the you know the injuries and the the downside just yet. Just looking forward to the event itself and keeping my fingers crossed, Willem. Good news for a couple, uh, I will mention though. Aaron Moy back on song for Celtic with a couple of assists in their 6-1 win over Hibs. While in Germany, Jackson Irvine celebrated his two-year contract extension with an assist in St. Pauli's 3-0 win over Hamburg. Uh, and he's wearing the captain's armband more often than not these days. Uh, and to round out, the Australian under-20s are up to their next in qualification for the under-20 Asian Cup next year. Uh, they've beaten Q8 4-1 and India 4-1, although Iraq has beaten both of those sides as well. So if the Aussies can uh, win or draw against Iraq, that's guaranteed qualification. A loss is going to have them right in a pretty complicated mixer uh, for the second place playoff, so you don't want to be there. So all fingers crossed uh, that the Aussies can win or draw against Iraq uh, within a couple of days, Rob. Yeah, absolutely. And and I saw just before we went on air that um, that the, the, the A-League's uh, official organ, Keep Up, uh, dropped an article about Garen Kowal. And, uh, and the way I know we've been speculating as to whether, you know, getting selected in, in this uh, uh, squad for the Young Socceroos was going to either be good or bad for him. But the, the headline here is that, uh, that he... Um, He's pressing his case uh, for a guaranteed spot in, in, in the Socceroos squad. So hopefully that's all positive news, mate. Scored a belting goal against India. Well worth checking out. I'll give it a retweet on the box to box Twitter. All right, well, well done. Um, good start, mate. Uh, we are going to talk to the man who is the boss. Uh, well, not the boss, he's not the gaffer, but he's certainly the skipper down at Melbourne City ahead of the, the derby with Melbourne victory this weekend. He recently played 300 games. The three of us were all there to watch him. And, uh, you know, he's 33 years old. He's played five clubs. Amazing. He was a journeyman once, but uh, no longer at the uh, the uh, the Citizens down there at Amy Park. Scott Jamison next on box to box Camus Warehouse. Thank you, Willem. I was waiting for it. Derek, have you got a little bit uh, there for me? Pop, pop. There you go. That's what we like. Right now at Chemist Warehouse, get your INC plant protein, vanilla or chocolate, one kilogram for just $19.99. Willem, that's a good deal. That's the good stuff. It is. Masashi Shred Matrix Passion Fruit. I love the passion fruit flavor. Might have to get some of that. 270 grams for $29.99. 
and the entire Bondi Protein Coast Slimit Blend. You need to lose a few kilos. The one kilo range is just $34.99. I might get a bit of that as well. In addition to visiting your local chemist warehouse store, you can click and collect to save time, order online for delivery by Australia Post, or call your local store and ask for same-day home delivery. T's and C's and charges may apply. Chemist Warehouse, the great savings are there every single day. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. And when Melbourne City skipper Scott Jamison recently played his 300th game in the opening match of the current season of the A-League, he was lauded for the, the wonderful career that he's had. He's played across five clubs, but now he's a, an institution at Melbourne City and, uh, and he's won everything there. And uh, he is one of the, the great characters of the game and we love talking to him on the show. And uh, we welcome Scotty Jamison back to Box to Box. How are you, mate? I'm all good, boys. How are you? Yeah, we're really good, Scott. And uh, and we really did enjoy uh, uh, staying well after full time uh, for for that opening round win uh, against Western United to see you uh, given the tributes and 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 United the Western boys stayed uh, to to applaud you quite rightly. So it it must have been like a just such a special moment. Uh, I know I know I read an article in the in the Keep Up article that was published uh, uh, talking about the game where your dad said uh, you know you. Uh, I think he made a bit of a smart-ass remark to you about how long you'd lasted Adelaide. And then 300 games later, mate, you're uh, one of the most capped players in the history of the league. Yeah, it's, um, it was funny. We were just having a conversation. My parents were, were here visiting our families, uh, my brothers and mine, and um, and then I notified them it was my 300th game. And um, they were looking to, to come back and, and, and be there for the occasion. And that's when my, my old man said it was um, probably about 10 or well, God knows how long ago, but when I was talking about coming back to the A League from England, um, you know, I was my plan was to stay here for a year, and I ended up being 300 games later. So um, he reminded me of that, and um, we had a chuckle. But in regards to the game and, and what the, the the game mentally looked, it was fantastic. Um, yeah, the game winning three points was the biggest thing for me. Uh, it would have been a bit of a, a sour event had it um, not gone the way, and then I'm getting presented a shirt, but. Um, Massive thanks to, to everyone who stayed, you know, the fans and also, I guess, Western United. It's the last thing you really want to do after you lose the opening game against a rival. And, um, you know, for them to stay out was uh, much appreciated and um, yeah, says a lot about them as uh, as a club. And, mate, uh, before we get on to, to um, your uh, uh, current uh, football uh I just want to go back to, to those early days. I mean, I was born in western suburbs of Sydney, just down the road from you in Guildford. Uh, you were an Auburn boy and uh, you played at Blackstown, Blacktown City. But uh, I see you also went to Westfield Sports High. We recently had Heather Garriock, who was, uh, uh, uh alma mater is also Westfield Sports High. T- tell us about that, that sort of those early influences and those opportunities you, you got at that great sporting school that, uh, that set you up for the career. Yeah, I was born in Auburn, but um, we quickly moved over to the west of Sydney, a um, place called Kings Park, roughly when I was about one or two, and then um, found a, a proper home in, in Kings Langley. And my junior football um, was, was at Kings Langley Soccer Club. And, and then when it um, started becoming serious and, and rep teams were, were getting introduced, it was, it was Blacktown City. And, and in those days, um, you know, Blacktown City at Gabby Stadium was was the pinnacle um, at, at that age. You know, it was it was about the wearing the badge of, of Blacktown and the tracksuit and ASICs at the time and um, getting to, to play on a Saturday afternoon at, um, at Blacktown. So I spent 
a, a great you know four or five years you know really learning my trade um, through the juniors and then at 15 years of age you know um, you know really kicked on and, and worked towards um, you know the first grade squad and, and making my debut at that stage. Um, in the meantime, you know, attending Westfield Sports, which again was the pinnacle of of football in in Sydney um, when it came to school, um, you know, the, the names that had gone before me um, and after me are, are, are long and, and illustrious, and um, you know, to, to attend that school under Trevor Morgan, who, who's obviously has a, has a massive um, is a massive figure in, in the, the national team setup and uh, Australian the Australian football future. Um, under his guidance, you know, Casey De Bruyne was was unbelievable, and that's how the move of, of Bolton came around. Um, getting scouted at the the state championships, and and then going from there, and, and that's where it started. And well, I say that's where it started. It, it started probably when I was four, but you know, that's the the professional side of things started, and um, and got the ball rolling from there. Scott, congratulations on the on the milestone. You've been a magnificent servant to the uh, the Australian domestic scene over the, your uh, your three hundred and one games, as well as the couple Thanks. of stints uh, overseas. Fast forward to this point now, having lifted the championship two seasons ago. What is it at this point of your career that's that's driving you? Is it is it to get there and lift it again? Is it to make right on last year? Is it is it Asian competition? Do you have to look for different motivation at this point of your career, or are you just rolling on as always? No, just rolling on as always. Um, my mindset is that. Um, and I don't know whether I need to fix my mindset, and, and I say that not in a, a funny way, but my mindset is, you know, I don't want to lose my position. I want to, I want to play every game. Um, as you get older, you know, I, I guess things come into to, to the equation rather than when you're a 23 year old, and I guess the perception of you um, changes a little bit. You know, my mindset is is every day um, trying to make sure that my teammates um, you know, know I'm competing and and and, and know I'm good enough to, to be starting in, in the football team. That's the day-to-day focus. Um, and I don't want to lose my position. And when it comes to the, the, the picture of, um, I guess, the bigger one, it's about winning um, and winning titles. You know, where I wouldn't say it's got any more, um, I'm any more keener just because of my age. But, you know, I've had a taste of, of one championship and, and two premierships and, and and failed multiple times at the, the last dance. So, yeah, I, I just think that day to day, you know, wanting to prove to my teammates that I'm deserving of being here and, and competing and, and being, you know, one of the best competitors and players is always driving me. Speaking of those teammates, if I can just ask about a couple of them, Nathaniel Atkinson's no longer with you guys, but he grew from a kid at City to uh, where he is now on the verge of a World Cup. Uh, and Jordan Boss looks like he could well be following that same sort of uh, that same sort of track. Already big and composed for a 19-year-old. Um, what can you tell us about him and what you've seen uh, in him working with him in the early stages of his career? Yeah, um, you touched on it there. He's a big boy, you know, for 19 years. Um, physically, is is outstanding. You know, he's. Uh, He's very strong, very powerful, um, athletically very fast, um, explosive. And when it comes to Jordan, you know, he, he's, he's been at the club for a while and, and I guess was a late bloomer. Um, probably wasn't on the forefront of, of anyone's uh, minds when it came to, you know, the next big things coming out of the academy and, and working his way up. But, you know, uh, full credit to him. I think he really knuckled down and behind the scenes, you know, where... Um, Really, uh, you know, put some detail in in the uh, the application of his work, and um, you know, has has burst onto the scene, you know, from last year. Um, he's a fantastic dribbler, like I said, he, he's he's pacey, he's strong, and 
you know, ultimately, I think his best position is probably a wing back. Um, you know, not just pigeonholing him as a as a left fullback. You know, and, and he's equally as good playing at left wing. So, you know, for for the future for him, you know, those three positions down that left side um, is, is as good as uh, as each of them in 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 those three positions. So, you know, he's got to keep working hard. He's, he's had a good start to the season. You know, with along with the team and. Uh, you know, um, it, it's about for him just trying to play consistently, which you know is a, a double-edged sword because ultimately, you know, we'll, we'll be competing for the same positions. But um, that's that's a, a benefit of, of the football club when, when you have two competitors and um, and I have a young player, you know, competing for the same sport as me. Final one before I hand you back to Rob. The Melbourne Derby this weekend, uh, you'll head in top, having won two on the bounce. Victory drew eighteen thousand last week with a little bit of help from the Wanderers. So, do you feel? Uh, having seen it all really in the A-League, do you feel a general optimism around the occasion and the league more broadly this season? It's an interesting one. You know, um, you know, I, I'm a realist and, and I've looked at the league over the last few years and, you know, going to Suncorp on Friday night, um, you know, I remember, you know, five, six years ago looking at Suncorp, you know, and all four sides were open and thinking, geez, what's happening here? They, they should be getting more. And, and then Friday night, there was only, you know, three sides open and, and just a realisation of where we're at as a league and, um, you know we are uh, at a, a lowish point, um, but I think we've we've came to the to the realization of that, and we're trying to build ourselves up rather than thinking um, probably fakely and, and thinking we're not you know where we actually are. So it is about building. It is about trying to to really kick on. You know, um, unfortunately with the the COVID, it, it stunted the growth of the the league in in, in some areas, and you know uh, the new teams probably haven't hit the mark when it's come to. I guess, you know, the, the engagement, you know, unfortunately, Western United's crowd on, on Sunday against Sydney was, wasn't the best. So I'm a realist. I know there's massive challenges ahead, but um, when there's a lot of good people and there's a lot of ambitious people trying to, to build this game, it, it gives me great hope. But um, when it comes to the Melbourne Derby, you know, it, it's always a, a great fixture and one that I believe, um, you know, definitely along with, with with the Sydney derby, you know, keeps the the league in the mainstream news. And um, I mean, full credit to Melbourne Victory what they've done since the inception. But you know, City have have come in and, and added to that. And uh, we look forward to these games. Um, there's there's no doubt about it. The derbies are special. And um, you know, we're only three weeks in, so albeit uh, there's another two after this, but the first one's always a, a great one. And um, you know, we really look forward to it. Hopefully, the weather can can hold off a little. I know there's expected rain, but I expect more than 18,000 that they got on the um, the weekend. And, and I think that, you know, is a, a little bit of pat on the back to, to the Melbourne City fans. I, I think we... Uh, we bring a few to the game now, which is which is great too. Yeah, no, that's that's right, and, and we were at that game as we said at the top of the discussion, uh, and there was a, a, even though it wasn't a, a huge crowd, it was a fantastic atmosphere, and uh, you know you rightly point out that the league is is, is coming out of a malaise, uh, partly uh, self inflicted and partly due to COVID, and uh, as hopefully we, we watch uh, the World Cup and 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 in Qatar the men's World Cup and in the women's World Cup, then you know that that. Uh, a whole halo of uh, of success and uh, and and focus on football will will carry through to the A League and and some of those crowds that we we used to see for for the games that weren't the derbies start to come back. Scott, uh, mate, great to to chat to you again. Congratulations uh, once again, mate. We we love your work and uh, and we're always grateful for your time. Uh, good luck in the the derby on the weekend. No, well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for uh, your kind words and and your uh, your ongoing support of. Of myself, not just myself, but the, the whole league. It's um, it's important to have passionate people like yourselves involved in in trying to take the game to 
to, to different uh, levels. So full credit to you guys. Always happy to have a chat. Um, it's probably flown by the 10 minutes. So uh, next time we'll, we'll do 20. Good on you, Scotty. Hey, mate, we'll, we'll get you on our show offside and we'll do we'll do a, a, a bigger uh, sort of profile piece that we did uh, with Heather yeah. Garriock uh, recently. We'd love to, to really go back to those days in Kings Langley and find out a little bit more. We'd love to. It, yeah, no, I'd love to. Yeah. It'd be special to to highlight okay. um, you know, the good people that, that definitely helped me throughout my career and, and definitely still help me. So, um, yeah, no, we'll, uh, we'll definitely tear that up and uh, look forward to it. Good on you, Scotty. Scotty Jamison, the cap- captain of Melbourne City, ahead of the derby this weekend against the Melbourne Victory. 300 games and still going. Okay, stick around. After the break, we're going to talk to Greg Evans from The Athletic. Aston Villa. Jeez, who would have thought it would come to this under Stevie Gerrard when he arrived in so much glory? That's next on Box to Box. Everybody's going to buy spices. I sing just because I can't stop singing when that Hoyt jingle comes on. And I love cooking. I say it every week. I love eating probably too much. Our friends at Hoyt's Herbs and Spices, Johnny Accardo. I was up there at the Everest with him on the weekend. What a day that was with three of my brothers. They're always on hand for tips and advice on how to add flavour and taste to the kitchen and changing the mood of your food. Willem, how does lemon pepper chicken sound? Sounds pretty good, provided that the uh, the tips were as good as the uh, tip that you tipped me into Giga Kick at the Everest, Rob. Ah, well, um, mate, I, I couldn't pick my nose at the Everest on the weekend and uh, handed back all my winnings from Caulfield a couple of weeks ago. So if you want to make this lemon pepper chicken, get yourself a tablespoon of plain flour, some salt, a couple of lemons, about a half a kilo of chicken breast, slice them down the middle, nice and thin, scallopini style, some extra virgin olive oil, chicken broth, and Derek, you know what you need to get? The Hoyt's Lemon Pepper Seasoning. It is absolutely delicious. So you put the flour and the lemon pepper seasoning and you season the chicken and then you fry it off in some olive oil, simmer it in a little chicken stock, some lemon juice as well, serve it with some lovely greens. What do you think of that? Oh, well, what the listeners don't know is that we record this way after dinner time and just when you start talking about food, Rob, it just uh, it's not good for the... Good, good for the morale. I want to go and have my tea. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm, I've got a curry, a Hoyt's uh, curry, so why don't we go and have our tea right now? And remember, if you're listening and you're thinking of your food, refill your empty spice jars with Hoyt's value packs. You will be happy with Hoyt's at Coles, Woolworths and all good independent supermarkets. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, we did say off the top of the show that uh, who would have thought when Stevie Gerrard had been poached by... uh, Aston Villa to, to move over to, to the Blue and Claret side of Birmingham uh, to uh, to lead that club to, uh, to well, not necessarily premiership glory, but at least consolidate their spot in the hopefully top half of the league and, and maybe aspire to Europe that uh, it had come to this uh, in the current season with two Premier League wins in their last 14 games. And, uh, and even though they seem, apart from uh, Tyrone Ming's uh, calamitous uh, defensive error, uh, to play pretty well, everything just went Bad for them on the weekend against Chelsea. Kepper makes a triple save. Mason mounts there to pounce. The man who was watching it all and writes all about it for The Athletic is Greg Evans. And we welcome him back to the show. How are you, Greg? Hello, I'm very good, thank you. It's a shame I can't talk about something positive about Aston Villa, but uh, we can go over what's going wrong. Yeah, I guess we can. And I, I suppose the first question that I want to ask from uh, a young man who, uh, who who does a bit of work uh, for, for me, who is a passionate Villa fan, he went up to Brisbane to watch uh, the match against Leeds. And he said, look, just ask Greg, 
are we really about to enter a serious relegation battle? Is it has it come to that? I just tweeted out something this morning and I said if Villa don't get the positive results that they need over the next two games, they play Fulham and Brentford next. Then I think they are in a relegation battle because they've they've got ten they've picked up ten points from from ten games already. Um and this wasn't part of the plan at all. You know, they, Villa were supposed to be attacking the top half of the table, trying to get into the top seven um, this season. But they're hovering nervously over the bottom three and, and looking, you know, nervously over their shoulder as well. So this is a very big week for the football club, very big week for Stephen Gerrard. They need to get positive results over the next two games. If not, I fear for them. And, and they weren't hopeless against Chelsea, were they? I mean, they, they, they did look like they uh, they were there to play and um, and had a little bit of luck on their way and, and you know, for that save. Uh, it could have turned out different. We could be talking about something entirely different. Yeah, 100%. I mean, they, they passed the eyeball test for the first time this season. They were good to watch. They were exciting. Um, I asked Stephen Gerrard after the game, would you have been that attacking? Would you have really gone for Chelsea that much if you hadn't conceded so early into the game? You know, they conceded after six minutes. Um, and he said, yeah, that was all part of the plan. But whether he was uh, whether he was playing with me, whether he really meant that um, remains to be seen. But they gave it a good go. They were very unlucky. Um, they, uh, I think they forced Kepper into seven, seven saves, which is more saves than he's ever made in a Premier League game. So that saves a loss. Um, but it's just the same old problems for Villa, unfortunately. Individual mistakes costing them. Um, and then a failure to, to, to score at the other end. That has been... The pattern of the um, of the Stephen Gerrard reign, unfortunately. If we talk about the coaches for a second, I mean, one of the it's kind of a strange situation at Villa because obviously, you know, Michael Beale um, left uh, to be the QPR head coach, and of course, he was Stephen Gerrard's sort of right hand man, so to speak, for his early success in his career, replaced by Neil Critchley, of course. And some people are pointing towards that as one of the major problems, and I suppose. Um, you know, does should there be more ownership over this from Stephen Gerrard's point of view? I mean, I, I don't think Fergie ever blamed any of his coaches, although he did shuffle them around from from time to time. Can we really point at that as a reason? I mean, it's part of the reason. Um, what what I what I've been saying to supporters who have asked me this question uh, time after time over the last couple of weeks and months is that Stephen Gerrard wants his team to play a certain way. He allows the coaches that work under him the freedom to go and set up the training sessions um, and promote the style of play that he wants. So when Michael Beale was uh, his assistant, he was following orders from Stephen Gerrard. Neil Critchley is now there. He's doing exactly the same. The two guys, Critchley and, and Beale, are very different. Uh, Beale was very, a lot more assertive. Um, he, some of the players liked him a little bit more. Some of the players liked Neil Critchley a little bit more. Um, and to be honest... The results haven't been much different. So Michael Bill's done excellent at QPR. He's got them, um, you know, fighting up towards the top end of the table. Clearly, a very talented coach. Somebody that Stephen Gerrard didn't want to lose. But I don't buy into the fact that it's making Villa play and, and perform as badly as they are. Um, you know, Stephen Gerrard needs to take more responsibility over it because he's the manager. He called recently on some of his big players uh, to become headline makers. And I think he was pointing at the likes of uh, Philippe Coutinho, uh, uh, amongst others. I mean, um, did he have a point? Um, does it, is, he, is he being let down by some of, the, uh, some of the biggest stars in the squad or is there something else going on there? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough, isn't it? If there are so many players underperforming, which there are at Villa, you have to look at the manager and his methods. But also, I do put it on the players. You know, Coutinho has been awful. Um, he hasn't scored a single goal. He hasn't assisted a goal for Villa this season. Doing his loan spell last season, he probably, you know, he arguably did enough to suggest that he'd be worth um, taking a punt on a, on, on a permanent deal. He's, he's signing, helped other players sign. Um, you know, so that uh, you can't knock Villa for trying to think big, but he's underperformed for Villa this season, and so is Amy Buendia, the record signing. Ollie Watkins is in the longest goal scoring drought of his of his Villa career. Danny Ings doesn't look like the the Premier League goal scorer that he has been in in recent years. Leon Bailey's been injured too often. Uh, Jacob Ramsey's lost his spark a little bit. John McGinn looks lost in the system that, that Stephen Gerrard has set up. But you know, how long can you be saying, well, why are all these players out of form? It's down to the manager to get some of these players performing, and and as a collective, they're just not quite doing it. Jurgen Klopp said the other day that you know prior to Liverpool's win at the weekend that one of the problems for them is that they just haven't got they've got a ceiling and there's a lot of other clubs that don't have a ceiling particularly the ones that are owned by um, some of the, the you know the, the nation states and the, and the petrodollars. You said the next two games are crucial for Villa. That's Fulham and Brentford, and of course the game after that is Newcastle. Is a problem for Villa the likes of Newcastle, where you've already got this so-called established top six. You've then got Newcastle owned by Saudi Arabia, who then, you know, are probably going to make a de facto top seven. Is that the the issue is that, you know, despite the ambition at Villa, like it's always going to be hard for them to um, to compete at, the, at that top level. And is that is that not a wider concern as well? I mean, it's, it's so difficult for any club, isn't it, to break into that top six or even top seven now. And with Newcastle and, and their riches, it's, it's going to become even harder. Um, Villa are very ambitious. They've spent a lot of money. They've invested heavily in the squad. What I would say is when you're a club desperately trying to uh, break into the, the established elite already, you have to do everything right. You have to get your managerial appointments bang on. The big money signings that you make, they have to perform for you. They have to come off. Villa had £100 million that they were able to spend from selling Jack Grealish to Manchester City. They bought Emi Buendia, Leon Bailey and Danny Ings with that money. And the three of them haven't really performed. So when you look at Newcastle, they're two big money signings, you know, really big money signings, a Bruno and an Isak. And, Okay, Isak's been injured, but Bruno's really taken that club onto a new level. Villa haven't spent that kind of money on one player, um, so they're still waiting, you know, for that real, real standout elite player to come in. Um, so they're, they're ever so slightly behind, but I just feel like they have to get all the big decisions right, and, and Villa haven't done that. Unfortunately, it's going to hold them back. And what about the uh, the manager Stephen Gerrard as well? We come back to him. The last time. Uh, Villa were in this position. Dean Smith had lost uh, five games on the spin. Uh, Perslow and the, and the hierarchy were quick to pull the trigger. I know we don't like talking about managers being being sacked, but what, what's your feeling uh, at the moment, mate? Is it uh, too late for Gerrard or is it those two games, as you said, he'll be given those and maybe it's curtains after that? Yeah, I expect he'll be given the next two games. But if, if Villa lose that, then did the owners have got a real serious decision to make because the club will then be looking. They're probably in the relegation zone if they don't win one of the next two games. So, you know, there's no clear improvement, which is what they want. They want this continual progression. They haven't got that yet. Um, 
they want to be kicking. They want to be close to the top eight before the World Cup starts. So there's six or so, six games left. I think six or seven games. You know, there's plenty of points to play for. It's still not over yet. Gerard can turn this around. But from covering this football club for for a very long time now, every time a, a fan base turns on a, on a manager, I can't ever recall one occasion where they were won back. Um, and it just feels like it's turning that way now. Villa Park was. Not quite toxic yesterday, but it was bordering on that state. You know, the fans were booing the team off. They were heckling Steven Gerrard. Um, they were jo- some. There was a small section that joined Chelsea fans singing, you're getting sacked in the morning. It's just becoming a bit of a joke, you know, and that's not what you want at home games. You you want your supporters behind you because that's what gives the, the players the, um, the edge against opponents. So... Um, the owners will be aware of, of the situation. Steven Gerrard certainly is. He, he's fronting it up in, in every press conference. Um, I, I do admire his his courage. You know, we've seen what he was like as a player in times of adversity. He, he pulled through it. People often forget about his Rangers record as well. He did very well up in Scotland. Um, he's not giving up. He's sticking to his beliefs and, and he believes that he can turn it around. But he's, he's on thin ice, isn't he? Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, he sure is, and uh, it's not uh, something that he's p- particularly used to over uh, a long and, and sort of glorious career with Liverpool and uh, success uh, with Rangers, of course, and then the national side. And just briefly before we let you go, the national side, the national manager Gareth Southgate was in the stands at that game. Uh, is there anyone in particular that you think uh, might have done uh, themselves a favour uh, in in that game, and and, and others who might have been chalked off the the potential selection list for Qatar? Yeah, I mean, sadly not for Villa. Obviously, yeah, Mason Mount was excellent for Chelsea, and Conor Gallagher came on and did quite well. Uh, ben Chilwell also looking like um, you know the fullback that, that England need. But for, for a clap with a claret and blue hat on, sadly, Tyrone Mings lost his opportunity mm. um, to really impress because he made a, he made that other mistake. I thought his all round game was excellent, apart from that. But you're going to get pulled upon your big mistakes, unfortunately. Uh, mm. So Southgate would have seen that. And Ollie Watkins, another game went for him without scoring. Um, so he wouldn't have done himself any favours either, sadly. Mm, OK. Well, that World Cup's not far away, mate. We might uh, have a yarn to you a little closer if you can spare us the time. Maybe about no some problem. positive news. All right. Well, Greg, <laughs> uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, Greg Evans is the man who uh, covers the Aston Villa beat for The Athletic. And um, and for all you Villa fans, I know it's probably not what you wanted to hear, but at least you, you got it straight from the horse's mouth. He was at the game. He spoke to Stephen Gerrard, and uh, no one knows it better than him. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Greg. Sorry, mate. You're not going to get to. You're going to get promoted. Thanks, Greg. All right, guys. Take care. See you, mate. Greg Evans from The Athletic. Okay, stick around. More World Cup after the break. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Let's lift the mood, Willem. World Cup corner. I know it was a little bit sombre talking to Greg there, the sad days down at at Villa Park. Um, Give me some positive news about the World Cup. Uh, I will lift the mood. World Cup chief Nasser Al-Qatar has announced excessively drunk fans will be led to sobering tents at the tournament uh, and held there until they're clear-headed enough to leave. Uh, he's also insisted gay fans will be allowed to hold hands and that nobody will be discriminated against in that regard. Uh, our own Josh Cavallo has called for a country's stance on LGBTQI rights to be taken into account before awarding hosting rights going forward. But Derek, uh, back to my initial point, the sobering tense. Uh, close your eyes, put yourself in uh, that space. 
uh, what sort of traveling lad on tour you would expect to see at a football tournament. Uh, why am I picturing a, uh, a man with sunburnt skin with a three lion, uh, three lines tattooed on his arm? I think that is a very astute prediction, Willem. I mean, I think one of the, one of the major problems of this is that you'd actually have to get drunk first. And, to do that, you would need access to alcohol. And my understanding is that it's going to be dry as the proverbial in Qatar in one, more than one way. I know you can go to the fan parks where there's going to be these 24-7 raves and I, I would love to see some footage of you and that. And if you're lucky enough to be in a hotel that's completed and potentially has a bar, you might be able to go in there as well. But I agree that if it's going to be anyone, it will be the England fans. But, you know, they might have their they might have their work cut out actually getting themselves into that state while they're there. Either that or the Welsh fans full of the uh, the bale ale. Rob, did you have anything to add on this uh, very important topic? No, no, I, I, I was just wondering what the proverbial was. Um, I'm, I'm assuming it was a bone. Um, <laughs> so far as what it was dry as but uh, now I look as somebody who doesn't drink myself I don't particularly care I'd be happy to go to Qatar but uh, it uh, it uh, it does um, conjure up some images doesn't it of uh, of uh, of drunkards in this tent and and who, who is it that's going to be policing them when they're in the tent uh, they're not generally inclined you drunk that is to uh, to sit there uh, uh, in a somber state and and, um, and and just wait till they get sober so I, I, I just hope that there's a like a camera it'd, it'd be a good TV show I think Derek well they always say better to be in the tent pissing out so <laughs> that's no doubt what they'll be doing I mean probably some of those guys at the boxing Rob would probably be amongst the candidates there god there was some shambolic performances at rod laver arena um grown men um proper grown men out of their faces at one o'clock in the afternoon on a sunday it was it was grim stuff it could it could be them in the tent in qatar oh i 100 percent agree and they went in that wasn't just a one o'clock in the afternoon i know when we arrived sort of late morning they were already well on their way there was one bloke who must have spent all of 300 dollars to buy his ticket and uh, and he was falling asleep and almost collapsing in the aisleway sorry that was as much as i could do to lift the move we're going to bring it down now because there's uh it's never pleasant coming into these major tournaments when the big stars uh miss out for whatever reason uh, three have gone down this week. Reese James, Ngolo Kante, and Richarlison. Uh, particularly the first two there are expected to miss the World Cup uh, after sustaining injuries. James picked up a knee injury in Chelsea's Champions League win over AC Milan, and there are growing fears that he's going to need surgery, while Kante has reportedly been ruled out for up to three months with a hamstring injury, Derek. Well, Reese James is the big one because the narrative up until this point has been, will it be... Uh, will it be Rhys James, will it be Trent Alexander-Arnold? And the answer is it's probably going to be neither. And it's either going to be Kieran Trippier of Newcastle or it's going to be Ben White of Arsenal, who's uh, in some fantastic form and having to play at right back at the moment because he can't get in the centre-backs with uh, Saliba's form. So that is a big one. And yes, I think Kante is a massive one for France because he is the got all that galaxy of talent up front they need a guy who can be box to box and can can sit a little deeper and control the game so yeah they're they're big ones not that bothered about Richarlison I've got to say it's good news for Australia though with N'Golo not being there yeah. and uh, Killian having uh, all sorts of dramas well, in Killian's him, got a, a spell on him and Pogba's also racing the clock with his knee injury that's not very nice about Richarlison Derek why do you say that well just presumably if he's injured he may not be able to take his form uh, which has been quite good at uh, Tottenham uh, for the rest of the little bit of Tottenham's run up to the World Cup. So I'm just looking at that purely with my Arsenal hat on, Willem. 
Well, it's very petty, Derek, because I throw to you to uh, finish, Rob. <laughs> well, I guess that's the nature of football, isn't it, um, Willem? Because um, we do like to death ride the opponents um, under just about many circumstances. Uh, so I do empathise with Derek. As petty as he is, I'll uh, plead pettiness as well. All right, gentlemen, uh, well done. Let's wrap it up for another week. Willem, uh, you and I are uh, going to um, be back with Edge next week to uh, to bring Box to Box home. Derek, you're going to take a break and have a nice little holiday? Yeah, yeah, I've been on, on the spin for a number of shows now, guys. So, yeah, I'm going to hang up the mic and it'll be good to hear from the big man. I know he's been busy and I'm sure he'll have plenty to report uh, from the Middle East. Excellent. You'll be tuning in. Well, and well done. Thank you very much, gents. All the best. And Damien Tardio, listen out for stoppage time later in the week, of course, uh, where Damien Tardio is finally going to come off that much vaunted bench I've been talking about for some time and join Willem and I to do stoppage time next week. Uh, so we do hope you subscribe to Box to Box, Box to Box stoppage time and Box to Box offside. There'll be another edition next week. We're going to talk to uh, a legend of Australian football. I'll just give you a little teaser and we'll tell you who it is uh, next week. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Tweet us at box to box nts and follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and make sure you join us throughout the week as our podcast drop. And we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.